Hey, Devils fans, make sure to sign up for the RWJ Barnabas Health Running with the Devils Virtual 5K, where 100% of the proceeds from the event will benefit RWJ Barnabas Health's Emergency Response Fund. Those who register and run the 5K via the RunGo app between October 1st and October 25th and submit their best time are entered for a chance to receive prizes. Visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash 5K to register. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to this edition of Speak of the Devils in a very thrilling time for New Jersey Devils fans as now the page has been turned. Uh, the Stanley Cup has been awarded. Tampa Bay is the champion. And now the next season begins, so to speak. And yeah, there have been some trades made and what have you. But from a Devils perspective, the draft is right around the corner. And Amanda Stein, this is what we've been waiting for since the Devils slots were finally <laughs> settled. Uh, the Devils on draft lottery night knew they had number seven. But as play went on with Arizona and Vancouver, they settle on 18 and 20 as well. And now we get to see what the Devils will do, not only in the first round, but the next day on the succeeding rounds. I feel so spoiled by this, right? It just like makes our job that much more exciting and yeah. you know, getting to know, also like forces you to get to know a lot more prospects than maybe you would on a regular basis. If you just had one pick, oftentimes you're just kind of looking at the projections around there, but now we're kind of have a mixed bag of guys. So it's really exciting. Um, and it's also exciting in the sense that you know, we don't know how it's all going to unfold because it's all going to be virtual. You know, I think like for the first time since like the early 80s, it's not in person, mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy. I think probably since before I was born. Yeah. Well, oh boy, before <laughs> you were born in the 1980s. Oh, well. Uh, well, listen, that's good for you. <laughs> I've been around a little bit longer than that, but you're right. It is a different year from so many standpoints. And what I do know is we, as the Devils organization, will have wall-to-wall -wall coverage. Yes. Uh, we've got these great plans for the first round live show that the fans uh, can tune in to watch. And, uh, and then, of course, the coverage on our social and website. Uh, you and the rest of the content team will be helming that. And so you, we won't miss anything. And the fans will have a resource that's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we've been trying to build over the last couple of years, a group where you can really get any type of information surrounding the franchise, whether it's on amateur scouting or, you know, what's going on with the current team or pro scouting, you know, just really pulling back that curtain, which is something I've been seeing for, I guess, three years since I joined the team is that this is all about pulling back the curtain and I feel every year we're, you know, doing a stronger and stronger job at, you know, talking to the right people and having access to the people uh, to really give our fan base an insight into how things are done. The Devils uh, a few years ago selected Ty Smith. That was the 17th pick. And uh, I will just speak personally, sandwiching around first overall picks. And that was really exciting. You know, who, who is it going to be Nico or Nolan? Are the devil's going to take Jack or are they going to maybe kind of change the, the, the course of the draft a little bit and go with the fin that the Rangers selected uh, Capo Caco. So 17, though, was one of those ones where, okay, that was kind of deep in the first round. Yeah. You know, I, not that I lost interest, that's not the right word, but in terms of following it all and who is Ty Smith, we turn out he's a great player and the Devils are, are well uh, 
well supported to have him in terms of their depth and what he'll bring to the team. But seven to me is more intriguing because just for some reason, just at 10 spots forward in a deep draft, you go, wow, there's going to be somebody special there, but who knows who it'll be. And not only that, just, you know, when you're picking one, excuse me, when you're picking the first pick, like you have the pick of the litter, right? No one's picked before you. So, you know, the world is your oyster, but when you're at a seven spot, you, you know, there are a lot of teams ahead of you who could change the direction completely mm-hmm. of a draft, right? They could either take someone, you know, kind of out of nowhere, or maybe it'll go the typical route of like what you're, you're expecting. But that's kind of the excitement about a six to 10 kind of situation when you're picking, because there are teams ahead of you that can really impact you, you, there might be a guy on the board that you were hoping is there is not. And then vice versa that, you know, you, that you really want to be there and didn't think they would. And lo and behold, there they are. And so the man who has diligently overseen the, the devil's amateur scouting staff for oh, five years, I guess now is Paul Castron. He is the vice president of amateur scouting. His time is very precious, even at this <laughs> late date, because there is still work being done to sort through things, to sort through that draft list, to make sure that when the devil's staff gets together uh, on the uh, Tuesday night, they have exactly in mind what that list is all about. And they are confident in the player that they take. And of course the list goes on for the next day too when uh the draft will conclude with rounds two through seven so without further ado let's bring in the vice president of amateur scouting paul castron paul let's get right to the crux of the matter why don't you just tell us the top 10 players on the devil's draft list and then everyone will know where we stand and just can watch the draft and figure out who will be next uh, on the list and who the devils will take at seventh that sounds fair I'd love to tell you, but Fitzy might take my job from me. <laughs> of course, uh, those secrets are deep and we understand just having a little fun. But this is an exciting time for you, isn't it? I mean, all this hard work is about to pay off as the draft is on the horizon. Yeah, the whole staff is excited. I mean, it's not very often you get a chance to have three picks in the first round and, you know, on draft day, we'll know if we do have three and never know. Fitz, you could trade a pick or maybe two, who knows. But we prepare like we're going to have all three picks and uh, look forward to the challenge. Have you ever had – sorry, I was going to say, have you ever had three picks in the first round in your career? Actually, in 2013 when I was in Columbus, we did have three picks. And, and and how, you know, so you kind of have a an idea of what that's like, um, just like exciting for like everyone involved. I know you yeah, just mentioned a little group, bit there, but. You know, the whole staff is so involved in the process of list building and putting the final list together. So, you know, when guys are passionate about players, they want to draft and it makes it for, a, you know, kind of intense meetings when we have them and we're still going through them now. It's, you know, we were ready to go in June and then. <laughs> When that fell through, we had time to do more video, and now we've even had time to see some some live games. How interesting has it been for you, you know, first time in your career where, you know, the draft is obviously taking place much later, and perhaps what, you know, what did you gain from this experience of having several more months? Well, I mean, it's... The first thing that we, we lost was the, the ability to watch these kids compete for a championship. And that's something in our, 
you know, our cycle for the whole season, we're excited to see kids just like the NHL, how the, the playoffs, the pace of play, everything gets more magnified. The same is for junior college and, you know, the European junior leagues as well. The pace and everything gets picked up and we, we like to see who shows up in those situations. And we didn't get that this year, you know, with usually the under 18s are the one of the final tournaments we attend and that's high end hockey. And we didn't get to see the kids compete for that world championship. So we lost that, but you know, the bulk of the work was done other than the playoff round. So it's not like we didn't have enough samples to, to rate all the players, but it's, you know, it is nice to see them compete in the playoffs for sure. Would that affect the top of the draft board or more as you get into the later rounds, that separation of a player, how he competes in a championship setting? I, I think it's right from the top down because there, there's a, there were groups of kids that would have been competing against each other in these world championships. And, you know, some kids don't play on the best junior team and then they get on their national team and now they got a chance to show what they can, they really can do in a pressure situation. And, you know, it's, it affects it right from the top down. How much with the extra time that you've had acknowledging that you didn't get that in-person experience at the championship level, but there's been more video and now seeing some of the European kids, how much, movement has there been how much has that affected the board the board is a moving target it's still moving <laughs> as we speak um no it's you know don't forget the quebec league starts up their regular season this week so there's there's a handful of first round potential picks out of that league so we're going to get another look at them and what what's really amazing you know, in, in the draft process is how, how much a 17-year-old changes from April to their first training camp. You know, they're still growing these kids and getting stronger. And, that, and that's the biggest thing when we, you know, we talk to these kids at the combine and they get tested at the combine, which we didn't have this year, um, is how much they get stronger over the course of the summer. And, and in, in this case here, everybody stopped in March and now they've had more training than they've ever had. So some of these kids that we've talked to have made huge strides in their physical development. And it's just a bonus really for us that we're not getting to see everybody, but some of the top picks are playing and uh, it makes for interesting dialogue in our meetings. And I guess what you're saying is uh, since you're in the projection business, who do we think will project to be, thus and such in the NHL, all information, even down to the final weekend, is important. Oh, exactly. And, you know, when we look back at the, the season the kids had, even though we are projecting, sometimes it's hard to separate the, the success a player had during the season versus someone else, and the situation could be different. One kid might get more ice time than another. And now with this extra six months and some playing time, the playing field can be even a little bit. And, you know, like I said, the, the draft list is still uh, an ongoing process. Nothing's in stone until we make that first announcement. How have you seen your scouting staff adapt to these times? Well, we've always used video as a tool, but this, this past with the pandemic, we've, we've used it a lot more. And, and, you know, 
we we learn from using the video too because there's things that you, you might miss at a game, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, and you you go back to video and you go, wow, that guy really showed excellent vision on that play. I didn't see that right at the time it happened at the game, you know, and vice versa. The the, the video tends to follow the puck, so the, the live viewing counts for things like how a guy read the play or a guy made a back check that you couldn't see on the video, you know? So it works both ways. You know, we use it to our advantage as best we can. But overall, the answer What about the loss of the combine? Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the scouts really, you know, they did a lot of work on video, you know, right after the season was shut down and it was, I have to commend them all and, and Scotty Harris for giving us the resources to, uh, to get the video job done. You mentioned the combine um, and the loss of the combine, obviously, which is, I I would tend to think it's a vital point um, in the draft year where you get to sit down with a couple of these draft picks that you might be interested in to learn who they are off the ice uh, when you have those meetings. So how did you orchestrate that this year without a combine? And did you maybe have a little longer with prospects to be able to sort of delve into you know really the the nuts and bolts of what you wanted to get from them yeah you're, you're right on there man because at the combine we're almost rushed to get these kids in and out because there's 31 teams and they're they got their schedule they got to follow and you know we we did it basically through zoom calls and again scotty did an unbelievable job organizing all that and we had as long as we wanted with these kids and you know one thing that was this, this similar was that the kids at the start, we're a little bit nervous. And we interviewed a lot of kids the second time, some a third time. And you could just see how comfortable they were because they were doing multiple Zoom calls with all the different teams as well. But you, you do get a longer period of time with them. And, you know, their personality really came out in the end. As regards this draft, we hear about how deep it is and uh, that there is uh, excellent value throughout this draft, at least. You know, I don't delve into the sixth round of the, you know, the, those later yeah. picks as you have to, but that's the understanding. So what's your overall view of the player that the Devils will get at seven? Well, first of all, the sixth round is special because we like to get a few more Jesper Brats back there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, <laughs> last night, Andre, Andre Palat uh, lifted the yes, cup for Tampa round. in exactly. seventh round, 208. So I don't I don't put that down at all, but I think and, I speak for a lot of fans. Like we oh, I know. On those if, we, if we knew they were going to be that good, we wouldn't have waited until the sixth round. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty excited about this draft, and, and it, it's a deep draft because I think it's a skilled draft at every position. And uh, we believe we're going to get a highly skilled player at, at seven for sure. Does it matter to you? Like, how does the relationship work? Uh, you know, you present and argue for the players and your scouts. You're having these meetings. And I want to get some examples of, of how heated those meetings can become. And maybe a player from your past that the debate was pretty intense on. But so you have the list. But in the end, Tom Fitzgerald uh, is going to, to make the choice. Do you, do you just simply say, Tom, here's our list. Here's how we think it goes according to our rankings. This is the player that is highest at number seven after the previous six picks are made. And this is the guy we should go with. Or 
does is there some shading toward need? Like what kind of conversations do you have with with Fitzy over that list and, and what's really who's really on it and where? Well, I can tell you for starters that Fitzy challenges everybody in that room for their opinion and wants, you know, he wants to see guys pounding the table and showing passion for the player they want. And he does have the final say. Um, but we do battle it out pretty hard. And uh, even on our first pick we're going to make, there's going to be, you know, the room is, we, we we pick as a group one way or the other, but there's always guys on one side of the fence, you know, I mean, and that's part of, you don't want all your scouts to have the same opinion or like the same player. But in the end, we, we do present the arguments for which player and then we, we vote on it. And in the end, Fitzy has the final say. Do you argue, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. do you argue, hey, we think, I think a forward has a higher projection, but we have some forwards or we have centers, for instance. I don't know if you can have enough, but the Devils have drafted centers over the last couple of years with the number one overall pick. So maybe we should go for a defenseman. Or you stated that defense, Fitzy, uh, is something you want to develop depth in and get some more size. But we think this forward really has a higher ceiling. Is that kind of how the conversations take place? Yeah, we try to we try to keep it as the best player available because they're still an asset. Whether we, you know, we could draft them and they may never play for us. We could trade them for a defenseman if we took a forward or trade a defenseman for a forward. But we we do go for the value. But the discussion does come up about you know we might need you know like you just said about two centers. Do we need someone to play with Nico or Jack? Is that a better you know, if the two players that we're talking about are really close, does it make sense to lean one way if there's not a big discrepancy in the talent level? So all those conversations go around and, you know, we go in circles sometimes. Like we just could be a goalie, you know, do we need a goalie? And where where do you take him? Where do you think he'll be? Can we trade 18 and 20 to move up to 10 to get a goalie? Or, you know, the scenarios we replay these scenarios in our meetings over and over again, because we try to be best prepared as we can. So I actually have a very precise question about those meetings because, you know, Maddie and I have talked over each other just because we're on zoom and you're not in the same room. Is there like a talking stick or something that goes around between you guys? Because I can imagine it's challenging over, you know, video chat to sort of balance how you guys are arguing things. Well, you see that little, red mark with the line through it when that's off yeah. you know the guy's not ready to talk so when that goes <laughs> off you know somebody's coming in with their opinion <laughs> that light Fair. goes off uh, has it you, been a challenge though just to orchestrate that no not really the guys are pretty respectful of each other and, and we're in no hurry when we get on these zoom calls so we right. got all all day to voice our opinions so we're a lot of times scotty will schedule them for an hour and a half and they'll go three and a half so. <laughs> so it's the way it goes. Uh, by the way, Scotty Harris is the director of amateur scouting for the Devils. That's the gentleman that Paul is referring to. Uh, for those who uh, don't follow the Devils as closely, perhaps as some others, you mentioned goalie, uh, and my ears perked up because there's a mm -hmm. debate going on in the media uh, about whether or not you take a goalie that high and you know everyone looks at uh, the the uh, Russian goalie Askarov uh, and say and say he's definitely a game changer but you don't take a player that high do you have an opinion on goaltenders in that respect 
I know you can't win without a good one. I know mm-hmm. that. Good point. You know, and, and we do lean on our goaltending people like Marty Berger and who's had a, one of the best goaltenders, if not the best of all time, and Scott Clemenson. They give us good insight into that situation and where they think it would be wise to maybe step up and, and pick a goalie. So, you know, the, the, the debate is, it's been ongoing there too. And and now he, he's been playing too. He got his first KHL shutout recently. And again, that's a bonus coverage, we call it for, you know, that we're fortunate to get this year that we've never been in position to have. So it's uh, definitely interesting for sure. Amanda, you know what the headlines are going to be. Uh, yep. <laughs> Paul Castron uh, indicates Devils might be opening uh, open to trading their trade up too for late for, <laughs> their late two uh, their two late first round picks for a goalie. That's the way uh, the media world picks up on we things. We won't do that to you, Kaz. We worry. won't do that. We won't do that, Kaz. But I'm okay uh, with it. others might just well because that's the intrigue of a draft, isn't it? What is a team going to do, particularly a club like the Devils that has three picks in that first yeah, round? Yeah, and Ottawa has three picks, I believe, as well in the first. Yeah. yeah. No. Do you do you rest comfortably the night before the draft? Like our work's done, pending what takes place, somebody could throw you a curveball. A draft can be proposed. I mean, a trade could be proposed. A team might make a pick that kind of surprises you. But do you sleep comfortably that night? Yeah, I do. And we, we um, like I said, we put a lot of time into preparing our list and. You know, we believe in the process and we're ready for anything. If Fitzy gets a call late that night, it'd be after midnight. Somebody might want our pick and offer a tremendous package. And, you know, the scouts, obviously, the more picks we have, the happier we are. But when when we lose picks to benefit the team, we, we understand that that's part of the process as well. Pandemic aside... Do you like the idea that you've had these extra months? And, you know, you talk so much about the transition for a player over the summer months. Um, do you kind of like that it's in October for a draft, particularly where you have three picks in the first round? Well, it's, 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 been, it's been beneficial, I think, for us to see these kids, you know, play again, some of them after six months off. And, yeah. But, you know, we're it's a long process during the year. It's, it's nice to – prepare your list and get it done in June when we typically do. And, and that, that just, all that, all that has done really for us seeing how much better some of these kids are playing. It just proves the point that the projection is what we do because they improve so much and they're, you know, 17 to 19 years old. And it's, it's visible now in the six months that they've been off and some of the kids are back playing. In a regular year, how many games do you think you'll have seen, whether it's over, you know, the internet or in person? Oh, it's, it's over the 200 mark. So, you know, everybody, everybody works hard and, you know, spend a lot of time away from their family. So we appreciate all their hard work and our ownership and management treat us unbelievably. So we appreciate that as well. For you personally, over your career, how many hockey games have you seen? What's the most amount of hockey games you've seen in one day? I would say probably at a, you know, one of those prep school tournaments, you might catch two periods of eight games because you bounce around a little bit. You yeah. get the different rinks. But, you know, I, I remember 
when I was in Columbus, we had a, a one of our area Minnesota guys. He had 75 games scouted in September with all the tournaments that go wow. the Minneapolis, the high school prospect tournaments, North American Hockey League, USHL showcases, you know, where you're getting 30 games in a week. So it's, it's a, it's a busy process for those area guys sometimes, but they love it. So what is the, yeah, well, they wouldn't be in the business with, with that kind of, those kind of demands. If, <laughs> if you didn't love it, you wouldn't be in it. And, and, and the ability to impact a franchise is just a tremendous responsibility. So I can see why it's so enjoyable for the guys who have done it like yourself for so many years and so successfully. Uh, can you give us an idea of what the process is like as you break down? Uh, you know, what do you look at as important? What do you put aside as maybe not quite as important? Uh, how do you come up with that list? Well, characteristics we, you're looking for. We talk about a lot of attributes, but the main one that we focus on is the hockey sense. Because if you can't, the game is so fast now. If you can't think the game, you're you're going to have your struggles. And obviously, skating is a big part of the the new NHL. And um, you know, size is not as much a factor as it was in the back in the big bad flyer days there in the Broad Street Bullies. The smaller players, as you see with Braden Point, are some of the most exciting players in the league. And he, he arguably could have been the Conn Smythe winner and, you know, on a lot of tickets. So, But hockey sense and skating are two of the biggest things that we, we look for. It, it, has that hockey sense value changed over the years because the game has changed? I mean, you didn't want ever I would think to draft a player who had no idea what he was doing out there but could you look past that a little bit maybe 20 years ago because of how the game was played I think I think you could because you know you would say we're going to take this guy we're not worried about him creating offense we we want this guy to be in there banging bodies and knocking defense off the puck and scaring the out of the opponents you know and that was that was part of the game and it's not, not not as much of a factor anymore. What about when you're in the interview process? What is it that you're looking for or hoping to see from a prospect? Well, we like it when they, they have a good idea what when they we ask them what type of player they are and their answer kind of fits with what we what we think they are. That that means a lot. When they're when they're way off base, then we, we have some struggles with that. It doesn't mean they're not going to play, but it's just the, you know, identifying what they do well and what how they're going to help our organization, you know, things like that. Yeah, I would imagine if a player sees himself as an all-timer and that's really not where he's at, that's not, that's not a real good sign. It's a sign of confidence, but not a sign yeah. of reality necessarily. Or, you know, the big question that we, we ask all the kids is, you know, where do you see yourself in three to five years? And some kids, you know, and we think it's a majority of them. It's unrealistic. I I think I'll be in the NHL next year. Yeah. And that's, they don't realize how hard a league it is to play in and to make and to be a full-time player. And, 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 you know, we get that they're just trying to show confidence, like you said, Matt, but, you know, we prefer a more realistic answer. Like, you know, I might, go back and play two more, my two years of junior and then spend a year in the American league and then be ready to make the jump. And you're like, okay, this guy gets it, you know? 
Yeah, it's part of the process. Would you say that applies to whoever the Devils would get at seven, understanding that everyone gets a chance, but that's the reality. Whoever the Devils will pick at seven, there's still more growth that needs to take place and maturation, et cetera? Uh, I'm not so sure about that at seven because there's a lot of high-end talent in this draft and a lot of kids that have had huge success on the world stage. So, again, like management always preaches to the kids when they have their first meeting is your play will decide whether you stay or go back to junior or Europe or wherever your, you know, club team is. So that, that usually holds true. There is a, uh, a, a couple of smallish players highly regarded in this draft. You talked about it uh, during this interview about skill being the, the primary asset, uh, but you do still need some physicality to play in this league, not as it was back in those Broad Street Bully days or some of the Devils teams uh, of the 90s and early 2000s. But how do you balance what you see? And, you know, I'm thinking of, say, like a Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti, who are not the biggest guys in the world, but wow, <laughs> they can get it done in this level. How do you say or how do you project, okay, that's not the NHL? Can they do it up here? Yeah, they're they're both highly skilled players. I think uh, Marco's a little different in that he's a stockier kid for a smaller kid, and he's he's so strong on his skates and so competitive. He's he's a very driven kid. I mean, as Cole is too. He's very driven, and you know he he's got his sights set on being a a star in the NHL. And he, they both. You know, I, I don't I don't remember a time since I've been scouting in my 29 years where the top two scorers in the OHL were draft eligible. You know, except back in the old days when the draft was 19 years old, mm -hmm. when they had to play all the years of junior. But since it's been an 18-year-old draft, I, I don't recall. Like, I'm sure it's possible, but to have the one-two scoring leaders in the league in their first year eligible for the draft is pretty impressive. So. I mean, both those kids are, uh, they're going to make a statement at some point and, uh, you know, time, time will tell, but they, they're highly skilled players. A couple of weeks ago, the Athletic released their, you know, prospect reports on, you know, the state of the franchise and, and their systems. And, you know, the New Jersey Devils were way up there at number two with the best uh, prospect pool, if you will. When you came on board, what did you see as the most important quality that was maybe missing from the prospect pool that you feel has been addressed? And when you saw that, that, you know, there's this recognition that, you know, you've done this great job. How did that feel? Well, first of all, the recognition is fine. And that's a compliment to the entire scouting staff, not just one person. Yeah. Um, but in reality, to be honest with you, until some of those young kids start, playing for the Devils mm -hmm. and having an impact, it doesn't mean, uh, you know, it's a nice compliment, but it doesn't mean a whole lot to us until they actually play NHL games. And as far as, you know, what did I see? I, I, I never look back at the past, what the Devils did. I think I have so much respect for them winning their cups. And I know they didn't have a lot of picks to work with in a lot of years. But there was a lot of good young kids when we, when I started with the Devils five years ago, like, Coleman and Wood and Severson and Blackwood and Zach were all good draft picks. So 
my philosophy really was just to, along with the staff, just draft skilled players. I mean, because that's, that you have to have skill to play in the league. And if you don't, it, it makes it difficult. So that was really what I was focusing on the most. And we're seeing uh, the results as that depth has increased and players are either on the team or about to break through. And we're excited about that. So is there a time, can you give me an example maybe where you were surprised? Like you, you staff sits down and you come up with your list and okay. And then a player kind of came out of nowhere and you went like, wow, we, we didn't see that coming for some reason. And he developed to be an NHL player. Not that a team valued him over your value board, but that he actually became a player more than you thought. And does that make you go back? I guess that's what I'm looking like. How much refinement is done? And do you go back and say, wow, uh, we were right here, but boy, we missed this. And why did we miss this? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have an example off the top of my head, but there's definitely players that get drafted by different teams that the staff may not have liked. And, and I think that's how we learn from each draft. I mean, that's the, the thing about scouting. It's not, it's not a science and it's not something you can hold your hat on every year. Every, every pick is different and guys play for different reasons. I mean, the young kid for Dallas, Camano, he wasn't a high pick and he got a chance through injuries and he would be an example. I mean, he wasn't a high pick, but he was a guy that, I'm sure some guys like he's a really good skater and and that's probably what got him to the NHL. But some people would have said he maybe didn't have a, enough skill, but he's playing, you know. Mm. So I think you learn, you know, every time we go to Buffalo, I always tell people we go to Buffalo for a rookie camp. There's only four teams there, but and you're you're you know the guys you drafted, obviously, but the the three other teams that are there, we, we sit around and go, geez, I didn't that guy's better than I thought or, or that guy they took high is not as good as I thought. I mean, we have those conversations all the time and that's how we learn and that's how we get better too. Is that part of a review process after a draft? Like take me through what happens after, you know, the seventh round is done. You guys can take a bit of a deep breath. Is there like a review process about what happened in the draft? Like what's the next step after that other than getting ready for next year? Yeah. Taking a little break is, the next step, <laughs> uh, but not this year. This year, there's no break. It's the, the leagues all start up. Typically in June, we the guys get some time off. But when we get together and in, in training camp and that, we do always look back at the list. And you know, I mean, it's you're you're not really beating up the draft you just had. It might be one from two, three years ago. You you go back and and see which players are are, are making their mark in the NHL and and say, you know, why did we have this guy so low? And, you know, and, and again, it's, if it was an exact science, you, you, we'd get it right all the time, right? So yeah. it's not, and kids, like I said, 17-year-old kids, you're getting a different player at 19, and it's, it's, a, it's not easy to project at this level. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jesper Bratt's name. Uh, by the way, I, actually, I want to go back to uh, the point that Amanda made and, and that you responded to. So, yeah, you're you're drafting here in in less than a week, and so there are still some games you're seeing. You mentioned the opportunity to see some CHL games in Europe's underway, and so on and so forth. And you're combining. I'm looking at this guy to see where he might move up or down on our board. 
And I'm looking at that guy to see where he might fit on our board in 2021. Kind of wild, uh, a different scouting approach altogether, huh? Yeah, it's definitely a new experience for sure. But, you know, we're still not allowed, our, our scouts in Europe are still not allowed in the, the building for the SHL games. They're allowed to go to the junior games. I don't know what the difference is, but <laughs> there's no people. They won't, they won't let the scouts in the, the SHL. But um, so right now, the, I think there's still, there still is a couple young kids playing in the men's league. So it's a chance you're, you're watching guys for this year's draft and next year's draft. And, and, and we, we have those games on tape as well. So it's, it's, a, it's good for us to see. So give me a good fight that, that's been waged in the past over a player. Give me an example of the passion that comes out among this group or maybe a group you were part of previously over a particular player and how it all kind of goes down. Yeah, my, I think it was my last year in Columbus. Uh, two real good NHL players today, Rantanen and uh, Wierenski. So we were picking, I think it was eight. And we had them, we, we were battling, you know, and that was one of those things that you asked about, defense or forward. And and in that year, we did talk about being happy with our depth in the minor leagues and the forward position. And, you know, why don't we set ourselves up with some young D? So we, we battled hard over those two players. And I think, both teams are fortunate they got, you know, excellent players, but that might not always be the case, you know, but a lot of guys were, you know, fighting for the defensemen and some guys were fighting for the, the forward. So, and two guys on our staff were from Finland. So, you know, where they <laughs> Yeah. Well, obviously. So do you break, ultimately the GM makes the choice, but do you break the tie? Are you involved in the argument? Do you just challenge? GM breaks all ties. Right. Yes. <laughs> but in that case, ties. in that case, as your as your as members of your staff are going back and forth, do you prod them to support their pick, and you sit back, or are you in that? No, I mean, I'm in the in the mix with them, and hey, there's there's times where I like somebody, and three other guys might go against me. So it's it's a it's a collaborative effort. I mean, I'm not the be all end all, and. and you know, I, I respect their opinion. We got guys in our staff that played hundreds of games in the NHL and have experience in scouting for 20 years. So they, they know what they're doing. And uh, we really do collaborate a lot. But Fitzy has a tiebreaker. I would imagine that the discussions around a seventh pick can be just as heated as around a – seventh round pick like how you know add deeper you go into the draft how are those conversations you would still be probably have guys fighting for each other you would be surprised how many guys have a pick in the seventh round still waiting still really? pounding the table yeah still pounding the table for for a guy in their area and that's that's exactly what you want from your staff is passion is from first round to seventh round and and we have that in our staff I know the, the, the first round is a meet for media events, so there's more time between picks. But the, the second through seven, it goes like that. It's quick, 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 quick. And, I mean, if you've got your list, you've got your list. But I, I often thought there should be a little more time between picks. <laughs> not, that, that, not that you should stay in the building or no, it's, forever, but it's so fast. It is fast. And, and when the, 
when a team makes a trade, like they, they move down from the third round, they pick up three fifth rounds and you, you, you got to keep track of all those and, you know, all those different trade scenarios. And, and they, sometimes the picks go 20 seconds apart, you know, mm-hmm. like you yeah. think you, you think you got five minutes before your next pick and two minutes later, they're calling your name, you know, but you do have the timeout yes. button a little bit if you need it. But that, that's frowned upon. A lot of teams get mad. I was gonna, say, <laughs> I was gonna say, how many timeouts do you get? Especially in the seventh round, they don't like that when you, <laughs> when they're packing up at their table. They don't like the seventh round <laughs> timeout. Uh, I, I want to get back. I, I was going to ask you a few moments ago about Jesper Brad and, and the sixth round, and we all know players can come from any. They can be undrafted, signed as free agents. Uh, you know, yeah. when they have outstanding NHL career. So uh, as you said, once the player gets into the system, it's up to him. That's the word that's given to everyone who comes into a camp like, hey, now it's up to you. It doesn't matter where you were drafted. But uh, in Jesper Bratt's case, what you know, we see the skill. Was it uh, a maturation? Was it a growth process? Was, you know, I know he's done a lot of work on his game. What is it about a player like him or a Pallad or I know Ray Shiro had mentioned Daniel Alfredson in the past as a lower pick who had a great career. Uh, what, what, what causes them to slip? I don't know what caused them to slip, but I think I know what causes them to make it is that they, they just won't be denied. They, they don't know. They don't players like uh, Jesper. They, he doesn't know how small he is because he plays much bigger than his size. And he just, they're determined they're determined people like you know like Braden Point I, I can go back to him all day long I'm I, I'm a good friend with the head scout in Tampa Bay and he's he's open with me it's like they took him in the third round they took four guys three or four guys before him right and now he's one of the best players in the NHL so guys that just have that that desire you know they Jesper probably slipped because of his size and Braden probably slipped because his skating wasn't, you know, you tell someone now he can't, he's not a good skater. They laugh at you. But if you saw him in his draft year, his size skating was, was against him and he, he's improved it and worked hard at it. And he deserves all the accolades he's getting. It, it is hard to believe that he was not considered at one point uh, an elite skater because the way he uses his edges, his ability to put play. Oh, it's unbelievable. So, so how do you measure heart then? Well, you measure heart by going back to games and watching kids that just never quit. And I mean, it's a big part of our process. I mean, it's one of the four big categories for us with hockey sense and skill and skating and competitiveness. And they all have a hold a high value for us. I mean, you look at even like Blake Coleman, who we traded, nobody would ever question the heart on that kid. And he doesn't know how big he is either. He runs through the wall for you. Yeah. Time and time again, that's for sure. What was your uh, scouting report on Nolan Foot? Now that he's in in the fold, uh, speaking of the Blake uh, Coleman situation, uh, big time shot needed to improve his quickness, and a big big body, obviously big body. But he had a, just a you give him an extra second, and the puck's in the net. He's got a heavy heavy shot, and you know he's got a chance to be a power play guy with that shot. And I think he's made strides with his skating. For sure. 
So hopefully he's had a big summer with all the time off to get stronger. And, you know, he comes from a hockey family. He's got a brother in, in, the, in the minors. And his dad obviously was a highly regarded player in his time. So I think he'll, he'll figure sorry, it out. Go ahead. No, he'll um, figure it out. What is that process like, speaking of Nolan Foote, when, you know, a general manager is about to make a trade that involves a young prospect who is not in the AHL, he's still in, you know, juniors or college or, or whatnot. Um, do you get a call about, you know, which scout should I speak to? Or is that not part of the discussion? Not always, but, you know, because most of the time we have a depth chart in our our system right. that 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 ranks the players on other teams where okay who we would like if we were making a trade for a junior player you know who are the best junior players in Tampa system and he would have been at you know the top of the list so they can see that without calling us but they could call and but I mean I know Fitzy called everybody and our Western League scouts and you know you know what are we getting with this kid if we make this deal and what's he need to work on and what are his strengths and weaknesses? So it's definitely, I think it makes the scouts feel good when they get that phone call, to be honest with you. Like you said, Matt, you're part of the process. It's interesting because I really didn't realize that, you know, part of being an amateur scout and all that is not just for the year ahead and projecting for the the draft, but you're also looking at other teams prospects and and making sure that that's up to date too right you talked about like having those lists yeah we 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 try to keep a you know a list of the top five guys anyways you're probably not going to trade for five guys from one team so if we have the top five you know we we don't deal with the minor league guys our our staff just deals with the juniors in college and the kids in europe playing junior so we, we stay on top of that with our guys that have the top five guys we would trade for from every organization. So it's right there for Fitzy when he needs it. Interesting. I had no, I really didn't realize that. That's what the podcast is all about. <laughs> getting information. Uh, Paul, time has run on just a couple last questions. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Amanda has one or two as well. Uh, after the draft, do you feel like uh, the proud papa you're now handing off, you know, this group to the team? Of course, the players have to be signed. I understand that. But, okay, we've done our work. We're happy with this draft. And now we're moving on to next year. And here you go, guys. You know, let's develop them. Yeah, and we, we, we let them know that everyone we picked was a good player and not to screw it up. <laughs> no, it's we, – we've got a great uh, – Development staff with Eric Weinrich, Scott Clemenson, and Patrick Rissmiller. They do a wonderful job, you know, preparing our guys for the pro hockey. And, you know, they most of them still have time left in junior or wherever country they're coming from. You know, a lot of the Europeans are playing in the pro leagues already, but it's still not the NHL. So they, they got guys that are going to give them advice and tips to help them get to the NHL, and they do a phenomenal job for us. And we we enjoy working with them. And my last one is this. Is it different with a seventh-round pick versus having the first overall? What makes it so if it is different? Or is the process the same? Uh, the process is the same. I mean, sometimes it's harder picking first than, you know, when there's more than one choice at one. 
it's it's not an easy decision. You know, if you had Connor McDavid every time you were picking one, that's one story. <laughs> but uh, no, the process is the same. We try to put the players in order that we we like them. One to, I think our list is might be a hundred deep right now. So, um, yeah, that process is the same. We we just kind of get them in the order that the group likes. So I'll end it with this. We started the same way. You sure you don't want to give us the top <laughs> 10 so that we're, we're all prepared for what takes just place? Just between us, turn? Paul. Just between us. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll give and you we'll one. talk to Fitzy if there's any problem. I think Lafreniere goes one. <laughs> okay, fair. Right, that's a start. That's a start. <laughs> we're, we got a week to get the next nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be a lot of hard work. I'm not sure we'll get it. But uh, anyway, Paul, we do appreciate your time. It's been fabulous uh, to get your insights. It is a, an incredibly exciting time for the New Jersey Devils. And I know for your staff, there's a ton of work to do. So we'll let you get back to that work because it's ongoing. And we look forward to seeing what the Devils do on both draft days. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we got the first pick out of him at least. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't really go off the board there either. <laughs> no, no. He, it was he, pretty set in stone for that guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, 29 years in the game uh, and uh, now the head of scouting, the vice president of amateur scouting for the New Jersey Devils. And I'm excited. He He's excited. You know, Paul, Paul is very matter of fact in yeah. his you know, his, his answers. I mean, uh, he doesn't get too high, too low as coaches like to say about players, but, uh, you know, he's excited clearly about the depth of this draft. And, and you know what? I, I was a little surprised. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was a little surprised when he said, Oh no, you know, that we, the player we get at seven could step into the NHL. I, I thought right so away. too. Yeah. It, it kind of surprised me too, even, considering how deep the draft is, because I don't think you see that every day, but I guess in the end that does speak to how deep the draft can be. And, you know, that's also exciting to, you know, have a, your head of scouting kind of say, well, this could be a player who could make an impact a lot quicker than we think. Yeah. And uh, I was also intrigued by the comment of, well, you know, if, who knows if we trade 18 and 20 to move up to 10 and take a goalie? Because first off, that'll set. We know that's going oh, to set that'll everybody change the buzzing. course of the draft. Yeah. Right. But, you know, there is big discussion about how good Askarov is. Uh, we know he's good. Uh, Marty yeah. Brodeur has said he's good. Everybody has said he's good. But there is that conversation about how high you would take somebody. Uh, but we do know that you can't win without a goaltender, and most likely you need two. Uh, Devil's confident with Mackenzie Blackwood. But moving down the future, you know, when Mackenzie's 28 or so. You have to start preparing. You always yeah. have, especially at that position, right? Because it does take goaltenders so much longer to settle in and mature into who they should be. You really do have to look a couple years down the road when it comes to that position, or more than a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and and it's the best player available, right? I mean, Paul mm -hmm. made that pretty clear. Yes, there are projections as to what the Devils need, but you do want that BPA. And if at 10, that's what their rankings say, well, who knows? We don't want to speculate what Tom <laughs> no, Fitzgerald might do with the, well, sure we do, because it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> we'll find out what Tom Fitzgerald does with those three picks, but it promises to be an exciting night. If in fact, the Devils do make a move with some of those picks, uh, and move up in the draft to get another highly ranked player. 
we know it'll be an exciting night with 7, 18, and 20, and maybe something else at their disposal. So I'm thrilled. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. And I think it just it just kicks off a really exciting week because right after the draft is done, free agency opens, right? Yeah. We're in such a weird time right now. Um, that's so exciting. It's just, it's going to be a really fun couple of weeks, but really next week is going to be so much fun because, you know, it can be transforming for a franchise. It really can. And this is the start of it. And it will be busy for our staff, uh, you, me, everyone. If I start mentioning names, I'll forget somebody. But our content <laughs> staff is on top of everything. Those who are listening to the show know the names from having seen their work or heard their work or both. And this will be the place to be, NewJerseyDevils.com, our social media outlets. We are going to be all over what takes place uh, throughout the draft, throughout free agency, as uh, we make our way to the start of the season, whenever that might be. Special thanks to Paul Castron for giving us his insights to the draft. And it is a very exciting time. And of course, thanks to Amanda Stein for being my co-host in part one. And now we transition to part two. And we welcome Catherine Bogart to speak of the Devils. Catherine, it's good to speak with you again. How are things on your end of the world? Matt, they are good. I am so excited that it's draft week, as we can call it. We have been waiting for this moment for so long, and I'm just excited to see people socially distanced to create some really cool content over the next week. We have been very busy indeed, but joyfully so. And what we do know is no matter who the Devils get, the team will be better. The organization will be better for it coming out of the draft and then the subsequent free agency period. So the team is bubbling. The organization is bubbling with prospects. We saw what happened with the athletic listing, the Devils number two, and it'll just get better beginning with the first round of the draft on Tuesday. Now, Paul mentioned during the course of the podcast that this is his 29th year as a scout in the National Hockey League. And I dare say 29 years ago, there were not nearly as many women in positions of influence around the National Hockey League as there are now. That the transformation is a good thing. And the Devils are at the forefront of that. We have really been pushing and including everyone. And we have several women that you've spoken to who are in positions where they have influence on what's going on in the organization, don't they? Yes. And it's really cool, especially around the draft, to see so many women in very high up leadership positions. When it comes to things like which prospects should we pick, they're giving their insight so we spoke with a couple of them, Dr. Amy Kimball, who is the director of player and team development for the New Jersey Devils, Kate Madigan, who is the director of pro scouting operations for the Devils, and Dana Seiden, who is the vice president and chief of staff at HBSC. All three of them have been so busy preparing for this draft and the opportunity to talk to them, not only about the draft, but the trailblazing roles that they've had in this industry. And we are so lucky with the Devils that we have three incredible women who are not only the only women, but three incredible women in these roles and then other women in the room and in these decisions as well. But they're not no. the only ones we had a chance to speak with. No, um, we actually, I know you've gotten a chance to speak to some people uh, from the media side and from the scouting world, which is fantastic. Yes. I mean, scouting is definitely, it's amazing anytime you get to see a woman become a scout for a league for the first time or for a team for the first time. And you know, Kate is so involved in the operational side of scouting, which is so important to highlight. But I also um, 
was able to talk to Kiana Scott, who is the first ever woman who's a scout in the OHL. She works for the Erie Otters and she was so gracious to give me some of her time. She is so busy right now preparing for their eventual season. And then to round it all out, we also talked with Christine Simpson, who of course is one of the faces of Hockey Night in Canada. She actually joined Sportsnet at the start of the broadcasting network. So with these five women, we had the opportunity to talk to them about how things have changed in the NHL. Like you said, 29 years ago, very different times. And all these women were able to reflect not only on the trailblazer and the role model role that they have, what legacy that they want to leave, but also advice for others who want to be involved. Because if you can see it, you can be it. And all of them truly believe that. So let's give a listen to Catherine Bogart as she speaks with five women trailblazers who are in hockey making a difference. I think the first time I ever told someone that I wanted to become a scout, they just said, you, know, you should pick something more realistic. And I thought to myself, like, when I look in the mirror, like, I see a scout. My first day coming to New Jersey to work for the team was during training camp. And I walked into the room and there was probably 80 men in there and I was the only female. And it's a bit overwhelming of a feeling, but at the same time, it makes you proud that you're there representing. Visibility is so important for these things because it's really tough for a little girl to look up and say, hey, I think I'm interested in doing that if they don't see anybody that looks like them. You can be a female, you can come from accounting. Like sports is welcoming and it has been male dominated in the past, but that doesn't mean that's gonna be what it is in the future. When you look at all the next generation of women who want to work in hockey or in sports in general, what advice do you have for them as they're embarking on their careers? Learn as much as you can. Soak up as much information as you can to be just like them and never give up. If you just hire people that are exactly the same as you, you're really missing out on the diversity that that is this sport and, and is our world. It's at the point, when this is what I really hope for in the future, where it's, we're not women in sports, we just work together and you know we are women in that happen to work in sports, but it becomes a little bit less of a novelty. The more you see women in roles like that, Frankly, the more normal it becomes instead of just thinking, oh, look at that. That's just a token role. I mean, it's not. It's women who have proven that they're up for the job. And um, it's just it's great to see. Hey, we we've come a long way, but we still we still do have a long way to go. Terrific interviews. Great insights from your guest, Catherine. But there's more. And for those who want to watch your interviews, they could do so, can't they? Yes, they can. So go to njd.tv to watch the entire video. It's definitely worth your time because you can put the faces to the voices that you just heard and hear their stories. Once again, it's always so important to hear from trailblazers and learn their history because they will be the ones that influence the next generations to come. You knew you had a familiarity and a working relationship with the three Devils employees, members of the leadership at HBSE and the New Jersey Devils. But what did you find out about the other two that maybe you didn't know? Because I, I would trust that they were not as familiar to you other than their names and their roles as the three from the organization. Well, with Christine Simpson, I had actually seen her working a World Cup of Hockey game that I was covering with USA Hockey at the time. But cool. she was so busy with Sportsnet and I was so busy running around with my camera trying to capture everything that we didn't have a chance to meet back then, but I remember watching her 
from afar and seeing how poised she was and how she was so able to deliver all this information so interestingly. And as a broadcaster, that's exactly what you want. You want to seem natural and casual on air, even though you have a thousand people rushing by you and you're trying to remember all these facts and figures. So I always looked up to her and the opportunity to interview her was incredible. And just to find out how she actually was working for the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, where she's from, and then started to become the first in-arena host for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then from there, Sportsnet, she sent in her tape, her VHS tape, she said, because <laughs> she said, you know, back in the day, it was VHS tapes. <laughs> I she can relate. <laughs> and we haven't used VHS tapes in the broadcast industry in a couple of years now, but it was so interesting to hear her path. And then Kiana Scott, who is such an inspiring person in the scouting world. And, you know, it was cool to hear how the Erie Otters actually scouted her because she was at all these games that they were scouting too. And they were like, who is this woman? We've been to three different um, places in three days and she has been at every single one of them. And it was just cool to hear how, you know, right place, right time. And she has this amazing opportunity and she's going to keep knocking up the glass ceiling in, in scouting and hockey and continue to do great things. So we've seen women now in so many roles, and rightfully so. Eventually, we'll see a woman head coach in the league. I wonder, as the draft is upon us, when we'll get that first woman who will be drafted with a real chance of playing professional hockey. Not done for a publicity reason, but really will be developed uh, by an organization with the hopes that one day she might be able to play in the big league. I mean, the game keeps growing. I don't know when that will be, but I think it's not that far in the future. Yeah, we'll see the game continue to embrace diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of character, diversity of economic status, diversity of skin color, of race, of religion, all of that. It's so important that, you know, we make this game inclusive for everyone. And it's amazing to see such incredible role models taking that first step. And then also on the flip side, the people in their lives that support them and help them and GMs like Tom Fitzgerald, who do embrace having women in very high positions, trustworthy positions for him when he's making these decisions of who the devils are going to draft, whether it's our first, uh, you know, our first three picks in the first round this year or the other picks that we have in the following rounds. It's just amazing to see organizations embracing it and also these amazing people getting their opportunities. So that clay mold that came out of the oven just throw it on the ground, break it up. That Those days are gone and we are in a new era and it is fantastic. Well, Catherine, uh, congratulations on doing a great job uh, with those five great insights and thanks for joining us on Speak of the Devils. Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure. And of course, we want to thank Amanda Stein, who uh, was my co-host in the interview with Paul Castron earlier in the podcast. And uh, boy, we covered a lot of bases throughout. So thank you so much for your listenership. We appreciate your company always. For my co-host, Amanda Stein and Captain Bogart, I'm Matt Lockman. Be safe. Be well, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.